everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Limelight Podcast. We are so happy to be back with you guys again today. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, I'm very excited to be here again with our awesome Dr. Sloan. Hi, how are you? Hi, Maddie. I'm so glad to see you again. Of course, we, we keep up with each other fairly often, but I'm sorry it's been so long for us to, to um, have a podcast. It's been a really busy, really crazy world. It is a crazy world. There's been a lot of stuff going on. A lot of people I know that have needed your your help and your services. So, you know, you're a busy guy. If we don't get involved like we were, then it seems like that things just go off in so many different tangents and we need to draw some conversation back into the to the science and the facts and get everybody back on the right track, you know? Yeah. So um, today, I know that you guys have been asking for a long time now um, for us to talk more in depth about mast cells and how that relates to recovery and healing um, and how you can kind of address some histamine issues or mast cell issues that you might have. Um, And we've got some other things we want to talk about today, too, if we have time. So um, without further ado, let's talk about mast cells. Um, First of all, for people who totally don't know what we're talking about, can you explain um, what mast cells are and how they relate to um, illness, disease? Yes. As I like to over explain everything, I'll try to keep this somewhat basic. But mast cells are immune cells in the human body that react to substances that come in through our into our body, no matter where, through the skin, through the nose, through the eyes, ears, mouth, in the digestive digestive system, they are very, very strong inside the intestinal membranes. Um, And that's typically where we start to look at mast cells. What mast cells do are they are our little soldiers that keep us defended to entrances of bugs that our body just doesn't need, that are not innate to our own body. So mast cells won't react to things that are in us that live in us that are our own things. Um, but they react to everything that comes into the body. So, so mast cells react to substances that make a, a reaction that create histamine effects. So you've got the foundation, the middle ground, and the histamine effects. And that draws us into a whole lot of questions about that. So why does mast cell dysregulation happen? So I like to say that we blame the mast cells too often where they are just doing their job to try to keep us protected. Like cholesterol. Um, They're the scapegoat. Yeah. Well, we make cholesterol. We make mast cells. It's, it's a, it's necessary for the human body to, to, to keep mast cells alive and very productive so that we, we don't have an intruder that kills us within weeks. Um, Mastocytosis, mast cell invasion, mast cell intolerance. These are all kind of the buzzwords about mast cells. It's kind of like being diagnosed with um, multiple sclerosis. Everybody's just calling it something, but the truth is there's a reason why the mast cells are reacting in our body. Um, Like I said, mast cells react to things. That, they, that our body thinks are intruders is keeping us protected. The byproduct is histamine. One of the simplest examples I can tell you is when you have poison ivy, scrape your skin, and you see the little blisters form, those are histamine blisters, 
from mast cells reacting to the poison of poison ivy and trying to literally flush it off our skin. If you think about that reaction, that's the same thing that happens through the 30 feet of the intestinal 12, 26, 27 feet of the small intestines before we reach the colon. So we are just visually having that same reaction inside the tube when we have candida, when we have other GI bugs, when we have food sensitivities, which are the delayed sensitivities, not the immediate IgE food reactions. Those only happen here. Doctors really don't test it properly. So doc, conventional medicine will blame mast cells um, and give you antihistamines, which is just really, as you can see at this point, it's very, very superficial as a treatment. So it's like getting a diagnosis of urticaria, which for those of you who don't know is a rash, and them giving you a cortisone cream to, to calm the rash on your skin, but they're not dealing with why you got the rash in the first place. Very good analogy, yes. Very, very little that happens on the skin originates from the skin. Um, eczema and psoriasis, uh, we can typically help these patients within just a few visits. Like we, we co constantly have little children that are bleeding at night so bad from eczema, they literally stick to the sheets. Oh, that's so terrible. Pull them off. Um, they go to the allergist, dermatologist, arms, stick everything on their skin, allergist, do a skin test for environmental factors and only the IgE reactions. They're not looking at the IgG reactions that happen in the gut. IgE, emergency, IgG, gut. I like that. That's a, that's a good way to remember that. <laughs> not really, but that it kind of works. So yeah, I like that analogy. Yeah, it's, it's urticaria is anytime you have red itchy skin and it's you see it on the skin, that means the histamine bucket has over flooded. Your capillary system, which is about 50,000 miles that can wrap around the world two to two and a half times, by the way. Look it up. Um, it's, it's far out. The, the capillary system becomes so inundated with histamine that it literally gets closer to the surface. And as it does that, we get redder on the skin because histamine is the most inflammatory substance in the human body. If you have red skin, you have a bloated gut, and you have inflammation from your tissues from, tissues from head to toe. So is there a difference between having mast cell dysregulation and histamine intolerance or high histamine, or would that all kind of fall under the same uh, bucket or same they're, group of they're problems? They're in the same umbrella. Yeah, they're in the same umbrella. It's, um, it's a conventional diagnosis given to patients that have mast cell reactions that fit into a category um, but that, that diagnosis does not tell you why you have that diagnosis. What we do is look for the substances and the things, the bugs, bacteria, pathogens, foods, environmental funguses, mold in your environment. We look for the substances in the body the mast cells are reacting to so we can minimize the histamine response. So how would you go about, um, actually, that's not what I want to ask first. What I want to ask you first is what are the symptoms or issues that people might be experiencing if they're having a mast cell problem? The, um, the first symptom, sorry, I'm having a computer thing. Um, the first symptom is that we are going to have a patient that does have the most prevalent sim symptoms like urticaria, they have red skin, 
It's not uncommon when you do a candida cleanse that we kill off some candida and your skin gets red um, or itchy. Um, someone that comes in that has, oh, I lean against my couch and my back starts to itch and burn. Um, my skin feels hot at night, but I don't have a fever. Um, I, I itch, I, I sting, I feel needle pricks. Um, I have chronic sinus congestion, chronic sinus um, infections. I have burning eyes. I'm bloated, I'm bloated, I'm bloated, I'm bloated. You know that that's histamine reacting in the gut, swelling the tissue, causing gastroparesis, slow motility. The histamine from the gut goes into the capillary system. And then here we go. If we see it on the skin, we know it's in the body because we only see it on the skin when the bucket has over, over flown. <laughs> what about, um, you know, is, is that a, typically a cause for like stomach ulcers um, and like <clears throat> stuff like that? Is that, would a stomach ulcer be like a, a histamine blister forming in the gut? As long as it's not H. pylori, mm, yeah. then it is from histamine. So imagine if I take that poison ivy plant and I wipe it on you three times a day. And then the histamine blisters get open, they get sore, continue to wipe it. Yes, it's going to form a, a unhealed area on your skin that is going to be called an ulcer. Okay. Ulcerative colitis, you see. Interstitial cystitis, they're all reactions to histamine. Um, gastroparesis, which is histamine hitting the gut, making the gut tissue swollen so the muscles can't contract to move the poo and the gas, um, is the same as interstitial cystitis, which is a really big deal where the bladder it's swollen and it can't contract and shrink so you're stuck in a contracted position and it's very painful um I, I think most every single patient and people need to know this when you sit in front of me i'm addressing mass cell responses and i'm looking for those substances right away from day one that's why i always put patients on antifungals right start from start from there because i can really reduce that histamine load fairly quickly. So, all right, I guess next step, how do you go about um, treating somebody who maybe you've knocked off some of the obvious um, issues of disease? So you've, you know, been treating candida, you've maybe treated, um, you know, parasites or Lyme, other infectious diseases. Um, you know, you're, you're dealing with a little bit of environmental things, but they're still having this mast cell activation. Um, what do you do next or how do you test um, to see like where the problem is coming from? Sure. So through, through our experience of things, we, we want to get to the bottom of it really quickly. So I start with antifungals to try to reduce histamine and inflammation in the gut. Um, a, a lot of my line, most of my Lyme patients are going to have histamine issues. Um, if not, then it's not uncommon after your immune system wakes up, after an SOT, one of the signs I look for, which is actually a positive sign, is that you get a little bit more histaminic. Now your immune system has woken up, your TH2 immune cell cells aren't suppressed, so you're actually reacting to things probably like you should have in the first place. Um, and we have to get over that, that hump. Um, we look for, um, initially we start with the antifungals, food allergies, gluten-free, casein-free, it's you know typically there. And then we move into, if that doesn't work well enough, we do the stool test that actually detects 
the genetics of the bugs, the DNA of the bugs. Um, and we go into deeper food allergy testing. We want to know if you're living in an environment that may has, may have mold or your work may have mold. Um, so we do urine tests to make sure you don't have mycotoxins. Um, and by the way, Lyme bacteria is so hidden in the body. Bartonella as well, Babesia, they're, they're within the, within the blood cells or in biofilm. So they don't create mast cell reactions. They actually create immune system dysregulation and immunosuppression. So that's why after an SOT, we, we see the immune system wake up six to 10 weeks and that's, that's a sign that it worked. Right. So you, you may have the same Lyme symptoms that you think are Lyme or even a worsening mast cell reaction, but seeing your immune system wake up and work, work, react in your environment, getting normal colds, normal infections is all a good thing. And, and by the way, we can't negate this. We can't just do away with it. Now, I think you asked me this question. In the meantime, while we're working on a patient, we give mass cell stabilizers like ketotifen or ketotifen. There's a lot of ways to say it. Um, or Probably. Mm -hmm. um, there's a couple of nasal sprays that are mast cell stabilizers that I like a lot. Um, and, and then we just, we're, we're abating symptoms while we figure out why mast cells are reacting to things so we can figure out what those things are so we can remove them and get a patient healthy. Um, most of the time at the end of the day, when we're done with bugs, I'm, I'm still working on figuring out why a patient has this, uh, this histamine issue. But what do you typically find, um, you know, where is the histamine, like, trying to think of how to say this in a smart way. Um, when you've sequestered what you think are probably the worst bugs, the candida, you know, you've done that stuff, the, the obvious things, what do you often find is the cause still for like this secret histamine explosion is it diet is it environment um where like where should people look if they're still you know if you're talking to the person who comes in their sot maybe isn't working as well as they would have hoped or they're not feeling the way that they maybe would have hoped and they're doing other things what would be the next step for the kind of the obvious way to to get the histamine down sure the, the first the first thing to look at is what grows in your intestinal tract and what passes through your intestinal tract. Those are the two things that the immune system is gonna to react to. Um, that's the easiest way for me to explain gastrointestinal diagnosis like Crohn's colitis and ulcerative colitis. Um, they have to be there a lot, that poison ivy has to be passing through the gut for a long time for mast cell reactions to create histamine reactions to cause that disease. Um, so what was the question? <laughs> um, well, that kind of, Drop, pulls me in into what I want to ask next. Um, you know, so would you say that that's kind of, it, it's different for each person? Like, would you go then do individual allergy testing? Yes. Well, from the beginning with all our patients, everything is individualized anyway. We don't do anything cookie cutter. Um, so when, once we look inside the gut to find if, if antifungals and removal of food doesn't clear a patient up, then we're going to do stool tests and we're going to do fungal testing. And we're gonna really pinpoint and target things. One of, one of my um, frustrations is that most doctors, even who claim they're functional medicine doctors, they just do really blanketed protocols. 
um, I, I'm always going to do a targeted protocol for right. everything. I want to target it. I want to test it. I want to remove it. I want to move along. So it's um, it's gut stuff. It's environmental stuff. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go look. There, there's not there's no reason these days we can't figure out why somebody's still having histamine responses. Um, I know mine. Um, if I drink a wine that has been aged in a barrel, I get through like three or four sips and I'm itchy, tight in my chest. Red. Red, ear tips are red. Um, my feet are burning. Um, and, I, and I'll feel that through the night. Um, there, there are certain things that, that you know are gonna be your triggers. Guess what? We can't fix that. We have to have the knowledge of what causes it and if you if you play, you're going to pay, but you know how to get back to your baseline. Right. And then we can we have control over it. And that's the thing, that's the really the magical word is having to control and one while you're sick, you don't have to wander anymore. Right. Well, that's what I always, you know, if if people are having um histamine issues or whatever, and you know, a friend or something asked me for my advice. Um, just a disclaimer, I'm not a doctor. That's just why we have Dr. Sloan here. So don't take my advice if you don't want to. Um, but I, you know, I, what I have done for myself and what I suggest for people to try is to kind of identify what their safe foods are. So, you know, it's kind of like a reverse elimination diet where you find a few things that you're totally okay with. For me, it's like sweet potatoes, squash, ground beef. Um, I do really well on those things and I can eat them all day long without having a response for something like pizza, I know that that's going to set me off. So I need to make sure that A, I'm in like a, a good low histamine state where I've done everything else right for a long time to kind of get me really calm, my, my everything, you know, my gut health really solid. And then I can eat a piece of pizza and it's like not going to kill me. But I know yeah. that if I do that a couple days in a row, I'm going to be right. in really big trouble. So then I kind of always balance that out with, okay, well, what are my safe foods that I know are going to help lower my histamine bucket and right. you know what i found from just talking to people and having conversations a lot of people's safe foods are very individualized so something yeah. that works for me might not work for somebody else you kind of have to go through that process the blood types really do match the delayed food allergies for the most part when when i look at a food allergy test and the food allergy test checks about 190 foods um i can look down and say oh look all the grains and dairy you're probably an o blood type Interesting. Yeah. Um, if someone has protein, like meats, um, I'm, I'm pointing to the test. Can you see this top left? <laughs> <laughs> grains are at the bottom. Um, the if someone has meat allergy, lower grains, then I can I can usually tell they're not O, so they're AAB. Um, Interesting. So right for your type is a fairly intelligent book that's kind of genetically related. Um, another side fact is that our brain really likes histamine. Why do you crave the foods that you shouldn't eat or drink the things you shouldn't drink? Because the, our brain has, we're full of histamine receptor sites up there. So right. we, we like that histamine. It's interesting how that works. So even when you're red and puffy and stuffy, but you have high histamine, your brain is, is kind of kicking with it. Um, if you take a lot of antihistamines and even steroids, you're going to have a rebound effect because those mast cells have been trying to work the whole time and you're minimizing their effort. So when you come off of those, you're going to have a rebound. Um, if you minimize your histamine 
so low that you don't have enough, your brain will tell your mast cells to make more histamine because it likes histamine. So we react to everything that we eat. Right. Food, food allergy test isn't to see if you're allergic to stuff. We're actually allergic to everything. Right. Well, I think that's why, um, and this is something else that I that I, I follow and encourage other people to try is eating seasonally or just like changing stuff up, which is I think why we evolved to eat seasonally. We didn't have access to all of the things all the time. We have we're omnivores. We have a very diverse diet. And that prevented us from getting these food allergies of, you know, if you eat an avocado every single day for years, you're going to become allergic to avocados. Yes. I hear this constantly. Oh my gosh, I'm allergic to every single thing I eat. Right. Yes, you are. First of all, you can only be allergic to things you eat. Secondly, um, we typically eat the same things. So we really- Oh, wait, go back to that because that was important. Tell people why you can only be allergic to things you eat. Because hopefully I answer your question correctly for you. <laughs> in, in your gut, when you eat the same things over and over, and when you have candida, candida is the root that causes leaky gut syndrome. And when you eat the same things over and over, they leak through the membranes right outside the GI into a pyrus patch, which is an immune system around the gut. And then we create those antibodies. If you don't eat those foods for about two or three months, then those antibodies start to relax. If you right. rotate foods, antibodies relax. Why is it that every time I go on vacation, even if I'm not eating great, my gut feels better? Because well, you're eating things that you've never eaten before. I'm eating different things, absolutely. Right. Especially here in Georgia, because we go to Florida and to the Caribbean a lot because we're so close. So we're eating fish, we're eating light, we're eating healthy. I always feel better. Um, I can typically eat a little bit of gluten and things like that, and I, and I feel okay. Um, I'm just away from those day-to-day -day same, same foods. So always try to rotate and, and eat differently. And, and you don't even know all the different foods that are out there because we, we just get, kind of get in our ruts and we stick right. there. Well, there's just, there's so much out there. And if you, um, you know, and, and I found this to be true for myself. I had a very limited diet before I got sick. I was just, you know, I was a picky teenager and I ate a lot of fast food and candy and all that stuff that teenagers like to eat. Um, but then when I couldn't eat any of those things anymore, I had to learn all about all kinds of new foods. And now I've become a way better cook. Um, and there's just a lot more variety in my life, which is fun and cool. And you also get a variety of, of different components of nutrition. Um, you know, so there's a lot of benefit to eating a wide variety of things which is also why I don't like super strict dogmatic diets, diet right. trends, unless you're doing it under the care of a doctor for a very specific reason. But I don't like the idea of eliminating food groups or uh, you know, really restricting yourself because then all of those, you know, if you're eating the same five things every single day, eventually you're going to become at least maybe not full-blown allergic, but you're gonna start having a histamine response. Yeah. They call it a sensitivity. The system, the conventional system calls it a sensitivity right. because it's not, it's maybe not kill you right away. So it's not, a, they call it allergy. It, it's untrue. It is an allergy. It's just, it's just not an immediate allergy. Right. So IgE, IgG, um, there's IgA and IgM. So there are those different responses. We, 
when I start trying to hunt down why somebody is having mast cell reactions, I will run their immunoglobulins, uh, G-A-M-N-E, to see if it's G, if it's high, I know it's a delayed reaction. If it's M, it's a mediated response, it's immediate. Um, their immune system is working to, to fiercely to, to fight something that looks like a virus or bacteria. It's probably not a virus or bacteria. And then the, the E is emergency. I'll say, oh, we need to go into environmental stuff, um, maybe your home. And then the A is on secretions. It's all within the gut on the secretion. So that also tells me like from sinuses to your booty, then we're looking at that whole tube to see what is in your environment that your body is reacting to and remove that. So mast cells chill and the histamine goes down. So basically what you're saying is if you're having these allergic responses, you're having the mast cell issues, there is a root cause that you need to address, whether that be something environmental, something that you're eating, something that you're exposed to in some other way, um, you know, or a, a bug inside of you. But that's not the, the, the end of the book. It's not, you know, okay, well, you have a mast cell disorder and right. that's right. it. And then that's it. Yeah. I, there are a couple of people in the country that call themselves a mast cell expert. Right. Um, I've had patients go to them. Recently, one patient went from, I think, Arizona to New York to see a mast cell expert. And it was a waste of a really, really lot of money because only people like us track down those true sources um, with, with a test and with a stool test. Now, not just a stool culture, okay? This is um, an irritating topic because we, we've moved away from stool cultures. We are, we're into measuring stool DNA, microbes DNA. I wish we could do this with Lyme, but we don't do that in America. That's why we use outside sources. Um, but we can measure all the DNA fractions in three and a half pages of bugs. So I will, I will, I will pinpoint what's causing mass. Yesterday I had a patient with really, really high proteus mirabilis. So it's actually a good bacteria, but for some reason it is just like overtaken her gut. Um, a lot of mast cell reactions. I would have never known that um, unless I did a stool test to, to check those genetics of the, it measured DNA particles of the bacteria, viruses, um, even H. pylori, even worms now, because we couldn't culture worms before, so we found worms. Um, so we, we have a really good target now. Nobody should be walking around with mast cell symptoms now that we can find the sources. Awesome. Um, do I have any other, do I have any other questions? How long do we have here? Do you want to talk about thyroid for a few minutes? Sure. Um, the other topic I wanted to talk about that I have seen people ask about, and actually this is how I found you initially right. because I, in, uh, I was going through a period of remission with Lyme. So I was doing all right with my Lyme symptoms, but I was extremely hypothyroid. I was gaining weight. I had, you know, typically a body temperature of like 96 degrees. My hair was falling out in giant clumps. I was sleeping for like 18 hours a day, cold hands and feet, like you name it. I had the, the symptoms for um, low thyroid. And I went to my GP. He ran the one test, the TSH and called me and said, Oh, well, your test came back fine. You're, you're totally fine. I'm like, well, I'm not, I have my hair's 
falling out and I can't do anything because I'm so tired all the time and you know I'm starving myself and I'm gaining all this weight and I you know so I was very very frustrated um fortunately I found you and the first thing that you told me was oh well we have to run a full thyroid panel and check all of the things and I was just like oh thank goodness somebody who actually knows what to do um let's let's and I know that's a very common experience for a lot of people. A lot of doctors don't really know that much about thyroid, unfortunately. And it is such an important thing to have um, dialed in and taken care of. So I just want to talk to you for a second about, you know, thyroid and maybe first of all, what is actually a thyroid test? What do you actually need to test and look for to see if a thyroid is working Mm -hmm. properly? So um, doctors conventionally, even endocrinologists, are, are only trained to typically look at TSH and T4. Um, and then they look at that feedback loop and they determine if you need a synthetic drug. Very important note is once you go on a synthetic drug and they retest you, they're not testing you to see if you actually have better health. They're just checking to see if that synthetic drug is in your blood. Right. So, only measuring the drug and you're doing medication management. Um, it is very, very important to measure thyroid stimulating hormone that stimulates the thyroid. Your thyroid releases total T4, converts to free T4, it's mostly inactive. That has to be converted by your liver and your kidneys by an enzyme called 5-deiodinase, and that's converted into total T3 down to free T3, free T3, free T3. Free T3, <laughs> free T3 is the most important. And that goes into the cell, stimulates mitochondria, and it gives us about 90% of our overall energy. It is a missing link in healthcare. And the reference ranges are totally wrong. Yes. I found so, that personally, unfortunately, in my experience. <laughs> your doctor is looking at a reference range made by people tested that are statistically sick people tested reference range. So we don't honor that reference range. We move it higher and lower depending on where it needs to be. Like the free T3 level needs to be above 3.2, not above 2.0, or we will still work with a subclinical hypothyroid patient. Uh, We typically end up giving our patients a little bit of um, organic um, bioidentical thyroid, which is T4 and T3. And it's, natural it looks like your own production so your body processes it properly whereas the centroid which is synthetic the longer you take it the longer the enzyme stops converting it and remember they're not checking the free t3 so they're just really missing out on it i think we could cure depression with thyroid medication correctly because i've never met an energetic depressed patient right well, I mean, and that was that was definitely a symptom that I had when you're you have all this other stuff when you're cold all the time, you have no energy, you're sleeping constantly, and you generally just feel like crap. It's really hard to not be in a state of depression. <laughs> state of crap. <laughs> a state of feeling like crap. So um, part of the journey here, so you always want to make sure. Um, I'm not going to overlook that for for our patients. And if somebody is overlooking it, and you're still tired, still feel depressed even depressed, anxious, not sleeping well, you get your thyroid straight for the daytime, you have better energy, then you actually know when to sleep at night. Your body burns on these circadians and the thyroid gland is very 
sensitive to these these things that we use now, you know, all right. of the maps and computers and toxins and stuff like that. So, um, oh, that's uh, something we should talk about is uh, like EMFs. That should be another episode. Um, <laughs> Maybe I can get some help on that one. I have some people who know a lot about it. Oh, a guest, a special guest. That would be a good idea. Sure. Um, so we talked about labs. Um, so that's, you know, just say again one more time so everyone can kind of, if they need to write this down, what do you recommend testing? Like what is a full thyroid panel? So to begin with, TSH, <clears throat> total T4, free T4, which is free thyroxine mm -hmm. index, then at least the free T3. That's the starting point. But when we go back into it, we can check reverse T3 and we can check total T3. Um, and, and usually if there's some kind of issue, we check thyroid antibodies, thyroid peroxidase and thyroid globulin antibody, which it's, is the information we need to know if you have Hashimoto's or even Graves disease, which is the opposite of hypo, it's hyperthyroid. Um, but it's just kind of part of our normal testing because we cover endocrinology, rheumatology, gastroenterology, of course, oncology, infectious disease, I'm kind of ologist. You know what I thought was, this is, well, it's not off topic, it's on topic, but what I, um, you know, watching when Trump had COVID and, you know, all of the doctors come out and there's this fleet of like 25 doctors that all come out and they're all different specialists that, you know, so that's the, the best medical care. It's taking 25 people to be able to all come together, um, wow. you know, and treat one person. And I think that's such a good example of where we're at in our healthcare right now, because it's not one doctor's responsibility to be able to look at you as a complete person with all of these different complex systems and be able to say, okay, well, we're, you know, this relates to this, relates to this, relates to this. Instead, we have everything separated so that every doctor is their own little specialist. And then how, you know, how are you ever going to really be able to heal if you have something like, you know, like for me, you're healing from Lyme, but you, the Lyme has caused you to have hypothyroid, which is causing you to have hair loss and weight gain and skin problems. And, you know, right. it all kind of cascades. Yeah. So they don't test the Lyme properly, correct? You know, they don't test Lyme properties properly. So they don't test your thyroid properly. So they never look at adrenal function. And then they diagnose the mast cells where they do give you a steroid. Um, I mean, I, and there you are. You're now you're right. sicker and you're sick and you're sick and you're never. Or going. you might have, you know, you might have somebody who at least is able to discern that maybe you have a thyroid problem. So they send you to an endocrinologist, but the endocrinologist doesn't talk to the infectious disease specialist. So they don't know that that's what you're dealing with. And then you also are dealing with gut issues. So you have an endocrinologist and then you have a mast cell specialist over here that's just dealing with that. So it's, it's this whole mess of having everything, the responsibility is, is, is a way, is, it's, you know, they throw you to someone else, they send you to another specialist nobody instead of just having. Has, nobody has real true responsibility for you. They blame somebody else or they do, don't, just, just don't do their job properly. So be patient with us here when we're looking at all the pieces to the puzzle and right. everybody's unique, we treat them unique. Everybody's special. I want to be treated like I treat you or anybody. Um, and I, I want to be independent and unique. And um, I, I think that's where we are, why we're here. Um, and we have the success. 
So SOT successes a lot of times are driven by the other factors. Right. Um, you go to an SOT clinic and they give you an SOT and kick you out the door, or they just minimally test you for other things. They're, they're, you may not feel right or well. Um, SOT may have done its complete job, which it usually does. There's just the other things that need to be looked at. Well, it's very rare, and I don't think I've met, I've ever met anybody who's only had Lyme. I'm like, that's their only problem, and they get rid of Lyme, and then they're totally good to go. There's always co-infections. There's always, you know, because then, too, Lyme itself causes so many other factors, whether that's, you know, GI issues, uh, sensitivities, histamine problems, all of that. Yeah. So also maybe it's maybe the reason you have Lyme bacteria and you can't defeat it is because of all the other issues. Right. Maybe, maybe we're the people who can't get over Lyme bacteria because we have all the other issues. It's a, it's a big bug bucket. Um, and as time goes on with us here, um, we do our job with Lyme and then we, we move along and we do retest it. Just remember there's a lot of fallacy in in line retesting to see the effectiveness. The effectiveness is best measured in how you feel for the first few months, three months, even four months, six months. We just had a wonderful testimony on the website from a patient that um, we had a a really, really, really tough journey with. Um, And and she spells it out on how, how, how long it can be and how you need to stick in there and keep working with us. Um, and stay on protocol. Yeah, and it, it is, you know, it's it's not, I think we're just so overtrained at this point to be able, you know, we don't feel good, we go to the doctor, they write us a prescription, we go home, and that's that's the end. And I think, you know, it when you do, you are somebody that gets one of these illnesses or diseases that's that's not that simple, um, and you can't just throw a prescription at it, then you finally realize, you know, a lot of people realize for the first time that our medical system is not set up to really come down and find the root cause. They're just, you know, slap a Band-Aid on it and you're good to go. And I think a lot of people get frustrated that it takes sometimes decades to really go through and peel away all these layers of the onion and find out what individually is causing you to have a problem because it is also, it's different for everyone. It, but but the the root uh, my starting point it, through the experience is we all have candida and if you come to see me we're gonna screen you for Lyme because that's the bad guy in the body that is the baddest guy in the body if not candida I mean they're they're both candida is very easily controlled that's why we always start up front just to get rid of that um, but the um, Lyme is the bad guy on the block it, I, I can't move along to, to too many other bugs until that one is removed and then I look at you differently so we narrow the symptoms down and we just move along a little bit at a time but you know I'm, I'm always in a hurry I want you out of my schedule I don't want to see a patient a few times and then and then go that means if you're not seeing me then you're, you're feeling pretty well and I don't take that personally <laughs> well that was uh me I didn't come I don't think I saw you for like a period of quite a few years there because I was doing really well and then I came out of remission again so yeah, I think I was uh, like, welcome back. I'm back in the office now forever. To clarify, this was before SOT, since SOT, and actually I want to say this for everybody because I get asked this a lot. If there's still things that I have to do post SOT, and now I'm 
over two years post SOT. Um, and people ask me all the time, well, are you still on protocols of supplements? Are you still doing treat other treatments to kind of, you know, stay healthy? And right. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> um, and I haven't done anything since I got SOT. Um, you know, and there was uh, the, a little bit of treating of mycoplasma. And I, you know, I periodically just make sure I've got candida under control. My diet's really good. Um, but other than that, you know, I... I haven't, I, I don't do anything consistently to still actively treat Lyme. Like my Lyme is yes. not, no longer in the picture. Yes, 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 yes. I, I think we're going to start um, having everyone fill out a questionnaire that's made by Dr. Horowitz because it's pretty, very, very detailed. Um, and we, you may not know your Lyme symptoms until you fill it out, or you may not know how many are gone until you right. fill it out again. And we see the differences to the beginning. To the end, we're always trying to justify um, our steps and what's next and make sure that I'm pinpointing, I'm being direct, and that I get to the point just as, as fast as we can. Yeah. Yes. You don't, I mean, I take supplements, you take supplements. I mean, just general stuff. Um, but now for me, it's a matter of just optimizing and like, and healing because too, um, I've had Lyme for 10 years and I'm sure it's done a lot of damage in my body. I've had a lot of other things that I've had to treat in that period of time. So now everything that I supplement or that I, that I do is just to nourish my body to try to um, heal tissue that has been damaged from, you know, Lyme and just life. Because honestly, like we're being poisoned constantly every day by something in our environment, whether it's our water, it's fast food, it's the air we're breathing, it's, you know, our house, um, you know, yeah. so you still have to do things in life to mitigate those uh, toxic factors. Yes. We should do a show on our healing phase. Yes. Because I have a lot to talk about, about the healing phase, um, including the stem cells that we can get from our own body and put back in our own body and how well they heal you. Um, so that'd be a great topic. Yeah. I should come in and do some stem cells because that's something that I really want to do with you. And then I'll just do it live on camera and show everyone mm -hmm. how, how we do it. <laughs> we'll do it. Mm -hmm. um, well, cool. I feel like this is a really good place. We're at 40, almost 43 minutes. So um, this is a good place. What? Breaking our rule. I know, we're breaking our rule. Well, it's really hard. We always have so much to talk about. And um, this is really fun. I enjoy well, doing it. So we how much we talked even before we get to this point, we would have five shows here right and just so you guys know that you know it's the reason it's hard for us to do this often is because generally when we record an episode it's like a whole day thing for us because we spend several hours talking beforehand just about whatever and then you know we kind of plan our show and you know and then we got to do it so it's and this is mostly unscripted i don't I, we don't we talk about hey let's talk about yeah and thyroid and click yeah um, Questions and, you know, we go through and we try to answer people's questions and we try to Here's be as helpful. That's my note for today. <laughs> one, one line. So I'm not, I'm not scripted. <laughs> um, I didn't study. You know, we we, uh, uh, we care a lot this. about this and we really like putting the show out there for you guys. And um, as much as we have, I love that. It's so fun. <laughs> Wait, you hold it up and then say something so the camera switches to you. Okay, so this was made by a, a patient who actually um, collects rocks and paints them and puts them all over the state. Um, and she's really neat, and she's she's one of my hardest 
Lyme patients I've ever, ever worked on. I, and she still loves us and she still, we still, we still help her. So, um, you know, if, if there was somewhere else to send her, I would send her there, but I don't, I don't know anybody. There's nowhere else. I've tried to find people that are closer to me too. And it's impossible. So I'm you just, know, you, know, you know, the questions to ask. So yeah. but I, appreciate, I appreciate today, of course, your time and energy for everything. Yeah, well, I appreciate you and I appreciate all of you guys for watching. Thank you guys so much for appreciating our show and for sending us questions. And um, I know it's been a little while since we put something out, but we are going to, of course, we try to do this as consistently as we have time for. This is a labor of love for us and we just want to um, try to get information out there as much as we possibly can. Um, so we're going to keep trying to do this as much as possible. Still, if you have questions, um, the Lime limelightpod at gmail.com email address. Send us your questions. I know we're pretty backlogged right now, but we are going to keep trying to do more episodes and um, get everybody's questions answered. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So on that note, um, we love you guys and we will see you on the next one. Thank you so yes. much for watching. See you around. See you soon.